Hey everyone, welcome back to the King Out Loud podcast. This week, we are beginning a new series, The Old Kingdom Books by Garth Nix. We're starting off with the first 15 chapters of Sabriel, so buckle up. I am your host, Drew McCaffrey, and back at it with me is Lauren McCaffrey. Hey guys. Well, it didn't make as much of a noise as I thought it would. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. Before we head into the episode itself, a quick reminder that we're on Patreon. Support for the show there helps keep the lights on and gives you access to all kinds of fun bonus content, such as exclusive episodes, exclusive original fiction, and much more. Sabriel begins with a short prologue, as a dying woman gives birth to a dying child. As the people start their rituals, however, Abhorson shows up. A necromancer, Abhorson travels into death to retrieve the still-savable soul of the child. He brings her back and names her Sabriel. Eighteen years later, Sabriel is a student at Wyverly College in the land of Encelstier. A dead spirit invades the school, but she quickly realizes that it has been sent by her father. The spirit gives her Abhorson's sword and bells, and she realizes he must be trapped far into death. Sabriel quickly packs her things and heads north to the Wall, intent on crossing over into the magic and cryptic lands known as the Old Kingdom. After a brief encounter with the Border Guards, she passes through the Wall and heads for the nearest Charter Stone a protective area. However, she finds the stone broken, the result of a horrible death ritual, and summons the spirit of her mother to guide her further. As she receives her answers, a dead being called Thralk attacks her, and she uses her magic to defeat him. But Thralk is far from the most dangerous foe she faces. A creature of the greater dead, called a Mordicant, is hunting her. Sabriel leads the Mordicant on a chase to Abhorson's house, where powerful wards and the rushing waters of the river protect her from the dead. At the house, she meets Mogget, a magic creature in the form of a talking white cat that serves the Abhorson. Mogget informs her that Abhorson is in fact a title, and she has inherited it from her father. The house is quickly surrounded by the dead and living servants of their own who work to bypass the defenses. Sabriel and Mogget take a paperwing, a magical aircraft, and escape. As they fly north, however, a flock of gore crows attack them, and they crash in a tremendous sinkhole. Forced into desperation, Sabriel takes off Mogget's collar, freeing him to assume his true form. Mogget, now unleashed, tries to kill her. Sabriel manages to recollar him, however, and they explore further into the tunnels below, where they find a stylized graveyard full of ships called Hole Hallow, and Sabriel notices that one of the ship's figureheads is far too lifelike. She travels into death and rescues the soul of the young man, who calls himself Touchstone, and reveals that he was involved in an attack on the Queen of the Old Kingdom 200 years earlier. With Touchstone's help, they find a way out of the sinkhole complex and make their way to the town of Nesto, where they hope to find a ship and sail to the capital city, uh, capital city of Belisere. As they're arriving, however, they find yet another broken charter stone and realize the village is already full of the dead. So, oh, man. Okay. So this, this book has some history. Um, more so for Lauren than for me. Yeah, I read this, maybe, maybe it was middle school. Uh, my brother and I read the whole series. I, I think we might've done it for a summer reading program. Oh, wow. And, you know, obviously like with each book that you read, you get better prizes. So. Sure. So we're nerds. Um, (laughs) surprise, but. Yeah, I absolutely fell for this series, and this book really starts strong for me. Yeah, so this was one of the first 
books, you know, back when we started dating 10 years ago. We gave each other a list. Yeah. Um, and this was the first of Lauren's books that I picked up and read. Uh, and I really enjoyed it back then. But uh, for reasons I'll save until we get into the second book, I didn't finish reading the second book. Um, and over time, I've, I've forgotten quite a bit about this one. And so when we were talking about, you know, new things we can add in for the show and, and, you know, what, what is, uh, doable for Lauren, uh, cause she's had a very busy schedule recently. Um, <laughs> uh, the, you know, say real came up and I said, you know what? Yeah, it's about time. I reread this and I go on further. So, and, and I've been on a push lately to get everybody to read it, uh, because, we started a D&D campaign with friends. Yeah. It's our first campaign. And so I just made my character Sabriel. Yeah. Um, and she's got Mogget with her and he's got a collar. Yep. <laughs> In fact, our, our last session, uh, Mogget got uncollared for the first time and things got crazy. <laughs> yeah. So I've been trying to explain to everybody how her magic works and how Mogget works. So I'm trying to get them to read the series because then, you know, we can adapt the character better, but yeah, obviously some things have to change adapting Sabriel for D and D five E, (laughs) but, but it's been a lot of fun. Um, Yeah. So, so the book itself though, uh, I think starting off on, on just like style and general discussion on what it is, so this was published in 1995 and I would say that's towards the end of the quote unquote pre YA days. Um, like growing up in the mid to late nineties, YA wasn't really a label I saw attached to things. Yeah, I didn't either. That's, I was confused about it. Um, but this feels very much like a YA book. She is 18 years old. You know, it's a, a coming of age story. Uh, you know, or it's kicked off with her mother dying in childbirth and then her father being trapped in death. And so she's on her own for the first time entering out into the big world. Uh, follows a lot of those sort of standard Bildungsroman tropes. Um, but I think there's something to be said for Nix's narrative style and his prose that makes this feel a little more mature than most YA that I've read. I'm not going to claim to have read a ton of YA, but I've read a fair amount. Um, like th- this feels more mature than the hunger games, for instance. Oh yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that. Um, I, I feel like I have maybe a little bit of like nostalgic glasses on with this. I mean, it holds up for me in some ways that the other books uh, that I read at that time maybe don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm still unsure of like how much am I just... I love this book, so it's good. Yeah. Uh, the There's a... I would say a care to the words, to the word choices in this book. Yes. That makes it feel like a little bit more of... A, a serious attempt at a literary work than what has become a very 
heavily commercialized um, like market for YA. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we had these massive breakout hits with Harry Potter and the Hunger Games and Divergent. And, Aragon. Uh, Aragon, Percy Jackson, uh, yeah. you know, like, and so they're in probably the last 15 ish years, maybe 15, 20 years, there's been, uh, I think, a sense of determined accessibility in the prose of a lot of YA books. And I don't get that here. Um, I don't think that was something Garth Nix was particularly interested in. He wasn't trying to chase a trend. He wasn't trying to become the next, you know, mega million dollar movie hit. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Um, he was just trying to write a thorough and enjoyable book. And I, I kind of love it for that. Uh, Sabriel is an engaging main character. I, I'm finding her a little whinier now than I did the first time I read it. Um, really? But, but not terribly so. There, there have just been a couple of points where I've been frustrated with her, her kind of attitude. What um, do you mean? She, she almost throws like, I'm not going to call it a temper tantrum, but, but she, she gets a little petulant at points where she, she's frustrated by her lack of knowledge in the world and, you know, kind of some of the moments when uh, she's talking to people more knowledgeable than her. And for one reason or another, they're not telling her what she wants to hear. She gets frustrated very easily. And, and it, it does make sense. This is an 18 year old girl doing this thing for the first time ever. Um, and her, her father didn't pass down yeah, knowledge to yeah. her. And, and she's in a very high stress situation and, and all of this, but I don't know what it was the first time I read through it. None of that bothered me the first time this time it's, you know, rankling at me a little bit, uh, but not enough to really impact my enjoyment. I am thoroughly enjoying the book okay, so good. far. Uh, yeah, Sabriel's fun. Touchstone is fun. Mogget is far and away the best part of the book so far. I love Mogget. Uh, <laughs> I I think he does a good job of making the uh the threats in the story feel real and feel omnipresent. I get this sensation through the way he writes the setting of the old kingdom being decrepit, empty, uh, falling, like civilization is falling apart here. And it's like a land overrun with the dead, even though it's not explicitly written as that, that is very much the sensation I get through a lot of the, a lot of the times he takes moments to really describe the setting. It's open spaces. It's, it's the, the wintry desolate landscape. It's not any sign of human prowess or, or civilization or anything. The only like moment we really get that is Abhorson's house. And that is this lone bastion, very much isolated. And then the next thing we see of human civilization is a literal graveyard with the ships. And, and we also have in the beginning, um, the travelers. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, in the prologue. Yeah. And they've been attacked. Mm-hmm. 
so it's not safe. It sounds like this is a normal thing to have traveling bands. Yeah. It's not a, not a thriving culture. <laughs> no. So, yeah. Um, well, I, so I want to ask you about Sabriel then. I, I've already kind of slipped into character a bit, but what do you think about her as a protagonist? I like her a lot. Uh, I like how many times um, she's just kind of thrown into crap and she doesn't complain. She just does because she she needs to. Yeah, I like that there are moments where, um, because she's a prefect at the school, she's one of the older students, she's about to graduate. Uh, there are moments when she thinks that the prefect is slipping out of her or she's <laughs> speaking like a, a tutor or whatever to a younger child. Um, and I guess that's why it's frustrating when like she's now a novice again. Yeah. Right, right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, so I like her, her personality. She's full of, you know, she's full of brightness as a character. That's the best way I can describe it. Like, she is a hot spot in a cold, dead land. Yeah, okay. I like that. Um, she's, I don't know. I, I get the impression that there's not a whole lot of, well, you said culture, thriving culture. Mm-hmm. But we don't hear anything about like trading going on or like this place is this and this place is this. Yeah, very... Yeah. All we know, like at this point, is there are the Claire mm-hmm. are are a thing. Are a thing. Mm-hmm. And thanks to them, she was able to flood the river and keep yes. the dead from reaching Abhorson's island on the Yep. Yeah. So yeah, And we who, know that Nesto is a fishing village. Yeah. And we haven't really seen any villages on their flight. No. Yeah, they were kind of just over empty land. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, and then we have Touchstone. And we don't have a ton of him yet. He's really only in the last, like, chapter and a half. Well, he's a grump. Um, Yeah, he's super stone-faced. What? He doesn't... (laughs) obviously remember much of his own life. Uh, There are things that start coming back to him as they're getting out of Hole Hallow and going up the stairs and then um, traveling overland to Nesto. But he's quite taciturn. He he kind of wants to do things his way. And so he and and Sabriel butt heads over it. Well, he's also like, I'm... I'm your servant. Yeah. And, and she doesn't like, want that. She's like, shut up. Yeah, like, be your own person. I'm done with this. I didn't ask for a servant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a it's a, an enjoyable dynamic between the two of them. And then Mogget, like, seems to just <laughs> egg it on most often. Mogget is so sarcastic, so snarky. He, it, it is perfect. For like, a cat? Mogget just is a cat, even though he's not a cat. He he's exactly what a talking cat would act like. I mean, we saw him run away from the water <laughs> when uh, I don't know the the sending accidentally, yeah, accidentally 
sent water at him. And then we <laughs> we see him like with the fish for dinner and he's just like Oh yeah. <laughs> Obsessed with it. <laughs> oh yeah, Ma gets so much fun. And and I think she says at one point she's like, I don't think he really needs to eat, but clearly he likes it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah, I I didn't even mention the whole bit in Ian Abhorson's house when all the sendings are <laughs> These like magical constructs are bathing and dressing Sabriel and manhandling like, her, and Moggett's just like cracking up about it. But then the sendings mess with him too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. I love that. That's one of my favorite parts to reread. Yeah, it. Well, I I think that's an important thing to point out. Through the first fifteen chapters of this book, it it has been a very fast paced story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Full of danger. Um, it feels real. There, There's a lot of emotion going on throughout it. And then you have this brief moment of peace at at the house. Yes. Um, it's, I think in, in multiple ways, it's evocative of Rivendell in Lord of the Rings. Um, not only the, the place of safety where they're being chased. And water. Um, but yeah, there's safety from the river. It's you cross Ooh. a river and there's waterfall. And I didn't think about that. Um, but it, it has that same sense of oh, that you get reading the Rivendell sequence in Fellowship of the Ring, where you go from a terror filled chase with dark creatures, unstoppable dark creatures, to okay. We're safe. But then unlike Rivendell, here it becomes, it loses that quality of safety and she has to flee again very quickly. Whereas with Rivendell, you know, uh, if you've seen Lord of the Rings or if you've read the book, you know, they, it's a choice to move on. We have a duty. We need to, we need to destroy the ring. What do you, okay. So what do you think of uh, the dead making this bridge and using slaves? Uh, I think it's a neat bit of writing. Uh, it, it does good work establishing more rules of the magic system, uh, especially when Sabriel doesn't necessarily have a tremendous depth of understanding yet. She only knows the basics of charter magic and, and necromancy. Well, she, she understands the she, dead. She understands that more, but it's like, it's a subconscious understanding. Like she doesn't remember everything from the book of the dead immediately. Oh yeah. So, so I know a bit more about that. What, what oh. do you think? <laughs> what do I think about what, what? What is your impression of the Book of the Dead, her understanding? Um, and I'm not sure how much this is colored by my memories of the second half of the book, but my impression is that she has read the whole thing, memorized the whole thing, but it's not active memory. Um, she has to, at least the point she's at now, she has to be reminded of, or, or like have a circumstance arise where she needs that knowledge. And then she'll be like, oh yes, that's right. I can do this. I can do X, Y, Z. Okay. Um, Lauren's looking at me like I'm totally wrong and I'm probably, probably am. Uh, but she is, she is now, I'm just, um, (laughs) She she gets to raffo me for once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we we get 
a lot of really good things um, in this whole sequence around the house in terms of establishing the world, establishing the magic. Uh, one of the things that I think is also important is showing the dead can use living slaves. People yeah. actively serve the dead here. And this, yeah. this is another demonstration of how degenerate things this, have become this old kingdom is uh you know people whether whether for greed or power or out of fear are openly serving the dead why do you think there's a wall oh uh, i mean i just assumed it was to keep magic out of the uh the southern lands so this is this is england the, yeah, or yeah, this yeah. is Britain. Yeah, yeah. The, the, it's a boarding school. I, I always imagined uh, like Ancelstier is England and the wall is like Hadrian's wall, but like a giant magical construct and separates the highlands from England. Uh, and so I, I always saw it as, you know, a symbol of below this wall is normal, respectable, advanced human civilization. And north of it is the wilds and the magic and the dead and the danger. And so that's why they built the wall. Who built it? Uh, I assume it was a collaboration between Ancelstier and the Old Kingdom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I like this. This part is this kind of fun to walk through too. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm also thinking like, okay, like what is your impression of the stones and what is your impression of the bells and Mogget and, um, I don't know, the, the gates of death? Uh, let's, let's start with the stones. Uh, I see them as kind of power amplifiers, um, like something like ley lines or, or something like that, that, you know, they're, they're things created to help people use magic. And maybe there, maybe there was like a natural outpouring of magic in those places already. And that's why they were placed where they were. I don't know. But what, what is the magic? The charter magic? Charter magic? I, I don't know nearly enough about this world to answer that question. Okay, so we, we have, um, she has symbols in her head and she draws them out of the charter, she tells us. Okay, sure. And then they have names and... Yeah. And then and then necromancy the, with the bells, I get the impression it's not necessarily tied to the charter Yes um, and no. She she sort of blends the two as like a good necromancer, but there are f it, there's free magic, which is different from charter magic. Right. Yes. And free magic is much more the side of like necromancy and dealing with the undead and dominating things like that. Uh, so yeah. she she gives us, I think, a small example here when she goes to see her mother. Mm hmm. Or, or maybe it's when she's fighting the Thralk. Because she uses charter magic to set up this diamond of defense sort of thing. Yes. And she uses, her sword uses charter magic. It's covered in charter marks. Right. But 
she also uses the bells to dominate and banish. There. Throck. Yes, but she says like a free magic word. Oh, I didn't remember that. And it it scorches her mouth. Or it it feels like. Oh, I do remember that. Raw. It feels like raw, she says. I do remember that. Or she. Maybe she says she smells it off of Thorl. Um, I feel like there's a spot where she says she's. Oh, maybe it's, no, it's the Mordekin. I think she smells. That that's probably free magic yeah. off of him. Yeah. So and anyway, uh, I love the imagery around necromancy in this. The idea of the gates and how it's it's a river and waterfalls at each gate. Um. um I, it doesn't go in as much in the first part of this, but I do recall things from the second half of the book involving like more detail about all of that. But even even in the, the bits we get here, it's just a really cool visual. Uh, a fun and creative take on a very old idea. I like that as soon as she goes in, she feels the pull of death to come and and join and let go. Mm-hmm. And you have to have a lot of spirit to to resist. You have to have strong will and strong spirit. I think they yes. say in the prologue uh, that's in there where he grabs the baby and he says she was strong of spirit. She was Resisting the pull. She hadn't just swept down the river. Oh, uh, yeah, let me, let me hear. Okay, so, yeah, this is like page four. He could hear the child crying, which was good. Um, I don't know, it, it's, it's too, too much to read too quickly, but, uh, uh, yes. So it's her life spirit in that. Life spirit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. She burns Caragor when he touches her in the prologue because she is so strong of, uh, it, you know, with her life spirit. And he's dead. <laughs> yes. Been dead for, for 200 years. Now we know 200 yeah. years. Um, uh, maybe a couple more than that. Cause we yeah, don't know when true. he yeah. <laughs> died. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it's kind of a, a quick thing, but I don't have a whole ton more to talk about. What about Mogget? I mean... What is Mogget? Oh, okay, think? we didn't talk about Mogget Unleash. <laughs> yeah. Where he's, he's this, like, insane energy elemental. Like, I have a vision of, like, a mental image of, like, a genie. Yeah, um, yeah, like okay. a like blue white column of energy with <laughs> with like a torso and arms and and head. And then they just don't talk about it after. Yeah. Well, he he also is like trying to take revenge for the Abhorsons holding him. Yeah, he he doesn't love being restricted. But he he's he's taking revenge on her. Yeah. And then I get the impression that he definitely has some shame about it. Yes. Once when he's, he's back. Yeah, once he's under the collar, he's he acts like a cat. Like if you've ever seen a cat 
fall or <laughs> like trip or something, they they act very aloof and and like that didn't happen. Nobody saw that. I'm just going to go over here and lick my paw and act like nothing happened, you know? <laughs> and, and I very much get that impression from how Mogget acts immediately following the, you know, his attempt on Sabriel's life. I love that <laughs> he at one point like is around her, her neck and shoulders and just like draped yeah, like yeah. a fur. <laughs> what? what? He doesn't feel like walking, I guess. <laughs> and then he I really liked the scene where Sabriel's off doing her thing and Mogget and Touchstone have their moment where <laughs> Mogget gets really direct and, oh, and grills yeah. him and like you know what you did yeah. I know you know yeah and kind of drags it out of him um, because of course he doesn't Touchstone doesn't know immediately doesn't remember but here's the thing that surprises me he talks her up. Mogget talks Sabriel mm-hmm, up. Mm-hmm. He's like, get off your butt. Stop yeah. moping. Look at her. She's look at her. She's doing work over there. She's doing what she's supposed to be doing. And she yeah. doesn't and she doesn't even know the half of it. Yep. She's coming in here raw, like unexperienced. But she's still kicking butt and taking names. <laughs> she's fighting through it at the very least. Like Yeah. But I I had forgotten that. Yeah. When, when he's collared, there is a sense of loyalty there or if not loyalty, respect. It's only when he's uncollared. And honestly, I get the sense, you know, maybe, maybe this is explored further on at the series. I'm sure it is, but through, through this bit, the sense I get of Mogget isn't so much that he's like just biding his time. It's that his personality truly does change whether he's collared or uncollared. That he's he essentially becomes somebody different with a different mind and personality and attitude. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm not asking you to answer that. Uh, that I, like I said, I expect this will be explored more. I, I doubt that'll be the only time in the three books of this trilogy that we're currently scheduled to cover on the podcast that his collar comes off. <sighs> so can I, can I drop like a, a fun, I don't know. Um, sure. Okay. A teaser. Teaser. That, that word. Okay. <laughs> I know his, his real name. Okay. It's not Mogget. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll probably still call him Mogget. That's fine. Yeah. I don't. He's always going to be the little white cat, snarky, <laughs> rude sometimes. <laughs> Loves fish. I I am really looking forward to getting you to meet other other free magic beings like him. Are there other free magic beings like him? I guess that's a Rafa. Rafa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What yeah. do you? Oh, and the the paper wing. What do you think of the paper wing and like the whistling the charter marks? Oh, so that was that was an interesting bit of world building as well. Uh, in fact, I nearly picked up a beer for this episode for the final draft 
on the whistling theme. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah, it, like I said, he, Nick, Nick's is really creative in how he adds wrinkles and layers to what is otherwise a pretty standard soft magic. Like, there aren't tons of rules we're given. So, yeah. You know, like, it's... There there are rules for, like, the necromancy part, you know, where early on, I don't know, 80, 85 pages in, she gives a rundown of what each of the bells does. Yes. And how you... Uh, we get hints about how you swing them, too. Yeah, yeah, that there are correct and incorrect ways to ring them. You have to make certain patterns and swirls and some bells want to kind of ring on their own. Yes. And, and can have uh, undesirable effects. But when she didn't have the bells, she would go into death and whistle. Yes. The notes to, to match the tones. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. Although the impression we're given there is that's really only effective shallowly into death if you're going further down you really need your bells that's right yeah <laughs> um I've, i do find it interesting that for instance so her dad sent a creature that he animated a, a dead husk whatever that he animated with the bells and the sword yes from where he was captured which is clearly not near where she was yep. in death to her school in Ancelstier. So he left death, came out where they were. When you say he, you mean the sending, the dead sending. Uh, not ascending, the dead well, yeah. construct. Yeah. Uh, came out of death where her dad is. Yeah. And then what? Went walked all, all the, the way? way? Yeah. I mean, we, we see in this part that the dead, as far as we can tell, travel like normal because the Mordicant is chasing her and she keeps ahead of it. Yeah, but the Mordicant seems more animated than most of our things. Most of our things have to mm. consume other life mm -hmm. to keep going. So maybe yeah. he consumed animals on the way? Yeah, that's true. Uh, that, that is another thing established here is uh, uh, with Thralk that he has to kill other things to stay out of death. But if you're animated by the bells, is it different? We don't know. And how long did it take for them to, for this thing to travel? And how did he get past the, the wall, the wall and the yeah. border patrol? Honestly, I didn't think about the travel aspect. I assumed he sort of just came out of death near, there. near there. Yeah. But it, it, it would make sense that he'd have to, Find a way to get across the wall. So if if she could just go to her dad in in death, where he is, from the wall, she could have just done that already. Uh, well, so the impression I was given was that, yeah, technically she could do that, but it would be really hard to find him from that far away. That it's a lot easier to do if you are physically near the location of their body. So. But this is interesting in in terms of like transportation and because can like then Caragor can just like pop out anywhere he wants to go into death come back out. Well, wasn't that 
No, that's that's a conversation for later in a different episode. Yeah. Oh, there's something to think about. Um but okay, so a couple just like final thoughts that I have about the writing of the book. So, point of view. Yeah. I got kind of sidetracked back in writing style at the beginning of the episode. This is largely from Sabriel's point of view. Yes. But we do get a couple of moments from Touchstone. And Mogget. And Mogget. Uh, I'm actually really curious. I haven't had a chance to read through the physical book. Most of this, very, very rare circumstance for Drew. Um, we were listening to the audiobook while driving to and from uh, the Dragonsteel convention last month. And last month, why did I say last month? That was like last week. <laughs> um, it's December. Yeah, now it's December technically, but still, that, that makes it sound like a lot longer ago than it was. Uh, but I, I don't normally do, you know, uh, audiobooks. And I'm curious to see if Nix does full on page breaks to separate points of view here. What Ooh, you- it doesn't look like it. It looks like he shifts seamlessly f- between Touchstone and Sabriel in this scene in chapter 14. I mean, this is an older version. I wonder if it changed at all in newer. No, no, no. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do that in a printing. Oh, no. Uh, it's just a, a stylistic choice. Uh, he's not writing a um, a limited third-person perspective. He's writing close third, but he allows himself the freedom to to shift to head hop. What What did you think of the narration? I mean, what do you what do you mean by that? We've got a famous actor narrating oh, this. Oh, for the us. audiobook. Yeah, so <laughs> Tim Curry is doing the audiobook. Uh he's good. He does voices really well. Yes. Really, really well. Uh <laughs> What do you think of like uh I don't know, his his Mogget is what I hear in my head now? Yeah, I could see that. Honestly, Mogget um that's not the one I would go to. I think more about how he did like Thralk, for instance, when he when he does the dead. Um. Yeah, he he's he does a great dramatic declaration. <laughs> I I love I love this this audio. I think it's it's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only thing that does bother me is how he pronounces Sabriel. Sabriel. <laughs> it makes me think of the Wheel of Time. Sa. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and maybe maybe we're both wrong, and Garth Nix pronounces it Sabriel instead of Sabriel. But I don't know. I I look at that name and I think Saber. Yeah. Okay. So well, it's. Eh. But I've I've been very clear about this that uh you know there are some names you know the Wheel of Time especially I know that. The author said he pronounced it a certain way, and I say, no, that's dumb. I'm going to pronounce it this way. Who are you thinking of? Uh, 
Egwene should be Egwene. E-N-E should be a hard E sound. Yeah. So. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I admit, I've been enjoying the audiobook. It, pretty much this road trip now is the only time I do audio. A couple years ago, we drove out and we listened to The Black Tongue Thief. And that should totally be an audio. Yes, that, that was, was glorious in audio. Um, you cannot replace uh, some of the things. Well, the accents. Yeah, you can't and replace the... it. I, I will say I listened to that book and I read that book, and I'm glad I read it because a lot of the naming, I was like, I have no freaking clue what this is supposed to be until I read it. Oh, how it was supposed to be spelled. Yeah, like the main character's name. I didn't really know what his name was because the accent was so thick. <laughs> on the audiobook. Yeah, okay. That was fun, though. But, yeah, so the author for that one uh, did his own audiobook, and he's got this rich Irish brogue, and it does add a lot of flavor to the story. And and that's what a good audiobook should be, right? Like, it, it shouldn't yes. just be a dull monotone reading the words off a page. It should be presenting the story to you. Yes. And Tim Curry does a good job of that in this. Yeah, definitely. I, I will say I, I don't think I'm going to do audio for Lyriel or Abhorson. We do have the physical books. In fact, Lauren has these really awesome paperbacks. I love these. I had to have them. I think my brother has uh, our old set or maybe he has a second set. I don't know. But we definitely needed to both have them. Yeah. But I don't have some of them, Drew. I don't have the new stuff. Right. Yeah, There, he's published three or four more books set in this world. Three and then a couple, a couple of, of short, short stories. stories. And we will be doing one of those short stories as a Patreon bonus episode uh, for December. I'm very excited. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, quick little Patreon plug there. If you want to support Thinking Out Loud, we would greatly appreciate it. And you get to listen to Lauren Gush over, uh, what's the name of, not, it's not To Build a Bridge, it's to, to Hold a Bridge. Yeah. To Hold a Bridge. Yeah. I loved it. So, Actually, it's in a collection of short stories, and most of those I really loved. Oh, uh, do you know what collection it's in? No. Uh, got uh-huh. it through Libby. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So it's not in Legends. Which I also have. Yeah. On accident. Yeah, that's a... I think we we told that story on one of our Wheel of Time episodes. (laughs) That Lauren has this insanely rare first edition hardcover of Had no idea. Of a short fiction anthology that included the original short story version of New Spring. (laughs) Did not know. Did not read actually that one at all. Or I probably would have started Wheel of Time before I met you. Crazy, crazy stuff. Anyway, sorry. I, I think that kind of brings us to our dis- the end of our discussion on the first half of Sabriel. Uh, really looking forward to finishing off the book and talking about the rest of it, and then finally getting to content that I have no knowledge of. Because I actually do, at least I think I do, have a pretty clear memory of the bit of Lyriel that I read. 
before I put it down. So, yeah. But just because we're done talking about the book doesn't mean we're done with the episode. This is inking out loud. So we have to have to do a final draft. Uh, <laughs> you go first, Lauren. Okay. And I'm going to have to steal a sip of this. Okay. Should we tell the story? Yeah. Well, so <laughs> uh, Lauren, I just this afternoon got home from Minnesota. Yeah. I um, was, I was in, in, in Minneapolis for uh, the master brewers association of the Americas uh, malting and brewing science course. So, and, and so I told Lauren, I was like, yeah, I'll pick you up from the airport. Uh, before I do that, you know, you got to run some errands and I'll pick up a couple of beers for the episode. I'll find, find some good things. And so I picked up the beer that she's drinking right now and she gets home and she's like, oh yeah, sorry. My suitcase is really heavy. I got some goodies. Other brewers sent me home with a, you know, sampling of their beers and I'm unpacking them. And one of them is the exact beer that I had just gone to the store and bought today. (laughs) 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 So Lauren, tell me about this beer. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So. This is special because one of our instructors for this class, uh, he he did, he's from Bell's Brewery and he's been with them for more than a decade. And they're in Kalamazoo, Michigan, right? Yes. And uh, so he taught specialty beer design for us and what like scaling up a recipe looks like and some of the like troubleshooting oh, yeah, yeah. and thinking through like, what you can and cannot do slash what, what uh, inconsistencies you might bring in when you change things like scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is, this is one of his beers. Oh, Comstock, Michigan. I'm sorry. Oh, interesting. I mean, I know they have multiple locations. I think the original was in Kalamazoo. Could be. I do not remember. Uh, but yeah, Andy, Andy Farrell, it was one of our instructors. So I'm going to have to reach out to him. Say yeah. thank you for the beer and like, this Absolutely. is fun. Uh, but you picked this because it's Bell's Brewing. Yeah. And I think anybody who's read Sabriel knows the importance of Bell's. But this is Bell's uh, special double cream stout. And it's a sweet stout. Ooh. So I just looked it up and it, it did start in Kalamazoo. But they are huge now. Bell's is one of the biggest uh, craft breweries in America. Um, they're owned. They're, they're kind of under the same umbrella now as um, New Belgium, right? That's right. Yes. So they are brewing New Belgium beers over there. And New Belgium is brewing Bell's beers over here. Mm-hmm. And so they have to work together. Make sure, you know, they're being consistent between breweries. Which, let me tell you is very very difficult yeah going from uh low elevation michigan cold humid totally different atmosphere different water different water to different different grade five thousand feet in fort collins colorado where it's super dry and different system think of all the variables that are different between those two very soft water in northern colorado yes yeah it is (laughs) <laughs> a big task. Um, one of our friends is an engineer at New Belgium and has been designing the systems across multiple places now and working with them to get 
That's consistency. Um, <laughs> so it like, I'm really appreciative. The more I understand about how difficult this is, <laughs> you know, and how much variability they're trying to eliminate. Right. So cheers, Andy. <laughs> Here, cheers. Nice. Delicious. Well, I am drinking not a stout. I'm drinking a hazy IPA. Um, so it's actually an oat IPA with Mosaic, Vic's Secret, and Strata Hops from uh, Tripping Animals Brewing Company in Florida. Oh, they started getting out to us. Yeah. Uh, Tripping Animals is kind of a like, recent craft darling. I don't know. I started seeing their name pop up about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, they have a good reputation. They did a collab with us and they sent us beer. Oh, and actually this is also a collaboration. This is a collaboration with our amigos from unseen creatures brewing and blending. Oh, it's also a very uh, appropriate name for say (laughs) real unseen creatures, but the beer itself is called taking flight. Uh, so the old paper wing, you can tell what was on my mind when I was looking at beers that the two I was looking at were this and one about whistling. I see. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Okay. So I want to say with the, it calls itself a, an oat IPA. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about that. We have oats in all our IPA or hazy IPAs. Hmm. I think a lot of people are doing it that way. I can, now I have like 35 other brewers that I can ask this question of, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> not, not kidding. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that everybody's doing it that way. Okay. It adds a creaminess. There's, this is definitely, I mean, this is one of the haziest hazy IPAs I've ever seen. It is opaque. And, and it does help with that. Yeah. Cause well, I guess for us, we're doing, um, flaked oats. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you're, yeah. you're getting a lot of ground up powder proteins and polyphenols that you're gonna that'll contribute they'll, they'll make like particulate in the in right. the beer right unless you filter it out sure so maybe i mean it's a hazy ipa so you don't yeah yeah you don't you want it to be hazy yeah i i actually i talked to one brewery who's having a ton of trouble getting the haze to stay in the beer which is usually the opposite problem <laughs> that everybody has is like, you need like clarifying is much harder. Yeah. yeah. Like having a, if you got haze in your Pilsner, something went wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, at like a, you can, you can, it can go wrong in a couple different ways. Mm-hmm. I say a couple, it can go wrong in a lot of different ways. <laughs> right. Huh. Well, so I, I think that, Brings us to the end of this episode. This has been episode 210, I believe, of Inking Out Loud. That is kind of kind of crazy to think about. Um, exciting, though, because, you know, uh, things were put on pause for so long that it's, it's exciting to be, you know, up and running and making some progress again. And you're actually going to read Lyriel this time. I am. Yes. Um, although I will say next up is probably not going to be Sabriel part two. Most likely Lauren and I are going to be 
uh, paying a, a visit to the Star Wars Expanded Universe, and we'll be talking about Vector Prime by R.A. Salvatore, the first book in the New Jedi Order. If you're a, an Expanded Universe fan, get hyped, because, yeah, we're, we're getting into some real, uh, you know, cult classic stuff, some controversial stuff. Uh, there's going to be a lot to talk about on that episode. And if you're not a Star Wars fan or not an EU fan, um, maybe you still check it out, listen, and uh, you know, see if the new Jedi Order is your cup of tea, because that's going to be a lot of fun. But as always, you know, uh, check us out on Patreon if you haven't already. We got a bunch of fun tiers there with things like you know monthly newsletter. Uh, right now, the big the big thing is monthly short fiction or um, excerpts from my novel length stuff. So there's always new fun things to read there. And, uh, you know, the exclusive episodes and, and I'm working on revamping Patreon overall to bring in some new perks. So yeah, uh, consider supporting the show there. I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is Lauren McCaffrey. Cheers, guys. Thanks for listening. And we'll catch you next time.